you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to 2 Timothy, the third chapter, as we continue our sermon series through 1 and 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, but I want you to focus on verse 1, which we'll read in just a moment. The title of the message is, The Worst is Yet to Come. The Worst is Yet to Come. 2 Timothy, as you know, is a letter, a letter written by the greatest Christian man who ever lived, in my estimation, Paul the Apostle. He's writing to a young man who is a pastor by the name of Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he writes words of education to Timothy about the problems he will face in the pastorate. In 2 Timothy, he's writing words of encouragement to a young man who quite frankly wanted to leave the ministry because of those problems. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul pauses a moment and he talks about the future. And he gives Timothy some very sobering words and you and I as well. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul writes, but know this, understand this, be aware of this, pay attention to this, open up your eyes and see this. Know this, this is a fact, this is a truth. Know this, that in the last days, the days preceding the coming of Jesus Christ, perilous times. Perilous is a nice word for some things that I'll talk about in just a moment. It's a polite word. It's a diplomatic word. Perilous times will come. Let me begin our message by giving you two truths, two facts that come out of 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 that are absolutely indisputable. Truth number one is we are living in the last days. As Paul writes Timothy, he reminds him that they're in the last days. They were looking for the coming of Jesus. If they were looking for the coming of Jesus, if they were in the last days then, and that's about 2,000 years ago, how much more are we in the last days? How much more should we be looking for the coming of Jesus? We are living in the last days. The sand in the hourglass of time is rapidly running out. Soon and very soon, the saints are going to rise up and leave this world in an event called the rapture. And Satan's Superman, the Antichrist, the last world dictator, the architect of a new world order, the Fourth Reich, if you will, is going to step out and he will conclude under his regime the last seven years of human history. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in the last days. In fact, I want to back up and say it like this. We are living in the last minutes of the last hours of the last days. 
I fully expect not to die a natural death. You say, Pastor, how old are you? 67 years old, but I don't expect to die a natural death. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe I will be part of that generation, and some of you will, that will go up to be with Jesus. No undertaker for us, no grave for us. An upper taker in glory is waiting us. But we are living in the last days. Secondly, indisputable truth, indisputable fact. We are living in the most dangerous, frightening, savage, violent days in human history. That word perilous, that's what it means. It means dangerous, frightening, savage, violent. And Paul said in the last days, that's what the world will be like. Man will become an animal, the world will become a jungle, and man will prey on man. I submit to you that we are living in these days. I've been for here for 67 years. Some of you have been here longer than I. Some of you, you'll catch up with me later. But I'm telling you, I've never seen days like we're living in now. Days of danger, days of fear, days of savageness and violence that I don't believe our world has ever seen before. You know why we have such days? Because we have made a choice. When God created you and I, he made us free will moral agents. We are free to choose, but we're not free to choose the consequences of our choice. And man by and large, and I use that generically, man by and large, has chosen to reject Jesus Christ. The living word, God's personable word of truth has been rejected by most men and women, boys and girls today. And not only has the living word been rejected, the Lord Jesus, but the written word, the Bible that you hold in your hand, likewise has been rejected. The truth found in Christ and the truth found in the scriptures, they both have been rejected today. And this rejection of God's truth and God's Son and God's Word has put this world into a moral and spiritual freefall. And with that moral and spiritual freefall that one day will come to an abrupt end when it hits the bottom is deception, darkness, destruction, and death. And we haven't seen but a fraction of it yet. Do you know in the tribulation period, under the administration of Antichrist, in three and a half years, half the world's population will be dead? You heard me correctly. That's not my opinion, that's in the scriptures. And the first three and a half years of his administration, half the world's population will die. We are living in the most dangerous, frightening, savage, violent days in human history. We're living in the last days. In our text, the Apostle Paul has been given by God a telescope. This telescope isn't going to show him planets or stars. This telescope is going to show him the future. 
And so as Paul writes this to Timothy, he's looking into the future. Maybe he's looking into our day right now. And he sees what the last generation is going to be like. He sees the condition of people in the last days. What he's going to describe to us in verses 2 through 8, and I want you to keep your Bibles open and follow with me, is what I call a 14-fold snapshot. A 14-fold snapshot of total corruption. The kind of corruption that will bring death to the world, death to a nation, death to a society, death to a civilization, death to a people. The total corruption of everything, anything, that will lead to the destruction of everything. If I had the post and courier in this hand and my Bible in this one, you might would be hard-pressed to figure out which one I'm talking about. Because I submit to you, and you can think about it as I go through it, all 14 of these characteristics are vividly here today. Let's look and see what he talks about in verses 2 through 8 as he gives us these snapshots of the human race, human beings, people, how they will think, how they will feel, how they'll talk, and how they'll live in the final days of history. Notice first of all in verse 2. Now just keep your Bible open and we'll go right through there. He says, men in the last days, generically speaking, men will be lovers of themselves. That's for the first thing out of the block. He says they're going to love themselves. You see, men worship themselves today. The age of Aquarius that was sang about by the fifth dimension many years ago, it was a catchy little tune. But do you know what the age of Aquarius is? It's the age when man becomes God. Humanity becomes deity. It's part of pantheism that we're all gods in the making. And Paul says in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. They will worship themselves. Everybody worships something. There's nobody who's truly an atheist. Atheists worship Someone or something. Agnostics worship someone or something. And most of them worship themselves. They love themselves. They worship themselves. The Bible teaches us there's a holy trinity. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. Three persons but one God. God, One God but three persons. But do you know humanity today has a, a trinity. But it's not holy. You know what man's... Trinity is me, my, and mine. Man loves himself, man worships himself, and selfishness follows that very closely. That's why we see so much selfishness in our world. When you worship yourself and love yourself, the byproduct is selfishness. Not only will they be lovers of themselves, they'll be lovers of money in the final days of history. Lovers of money. We're taught to worship God, love people, and use things. That's what we're taught. 
But all that's changed today. In our new way of thinking, we worship self, love money, and use people. That's the way we do. Notice in verse 2, Paul gives us the third of the 14 snapshot indictment of total corruption against the human race that leading to the collapse of everything. He says, the men in the last days will be boasters and proud. Modern man will break his arm patting himself on the back of how good he is. Modern man will be an ego, uh, an egomaniac. He'll strut by God, stick out his middle finger in God's face, and dare God to judge him. Such arrogance. Notice in verse 2, he also talks about blasphemers will appear in the last days. This word blaspheme means to, to do things that hurt God. It's bad enough to hurt people. But blasphemers hurt God. And listen, it's not accidental, it's intentional. What are we talking about when we talk about blaspheming? We're talking about watching pornography. Watching these films, watching these, looking at these pictures that degrade women and degrade children and defile the person who looks at them and brings pain to God. And you know pornography is a problem. You say, sure is, Pastor. They're doing it out there a lot. Do you know that study after study after study says that one-third to one-half of the people who sit in church pews every Sunday are involved in some way, shape, or form with pornography? Watchers of pornography are blasphemers. Talkers of profanity and vulgarity are blasphemers. Lifestyles that have no shame, decency, or modesty to them are blasphemers. And what I just described to you is the way most people live out there. Notice also in verse 2, Paul talks about being disobedient to parents. You got your Bibles? Look at this. This is reading right out of the newspaper almost. I think what he's talking about here is more than just disobedience to parents, although that's part of it. I think what he's really talking about is rebellion. People in the last days of history are going to rebel against authority. You see, parents are an authority figure. Children today are rebelling against their parents and grandparents. Students are rebelling against their teachers and administrators. Citizens are rebelling against the government. Church people rebel against the pastor and staff or leadership of a church. We live in a day of disobedience, a day where no authority is respected. And that's why we have chaos in the streets and everywhere else. Because you have to have a chain of command. There has to be a submission to authority for things to work. God put that in place for a reason. And when man tries to one-up God and do away with authority, what you get in its place is chaos. 
And behind the rebellion we see today is the devil. You know, the devil was a rebel. He rebelled against the ultimate authority figure, which is who? God. So whenever he sees rebellion in the home or in the schools or in a church or in society, I, I believe old Slewfoot stands back over in the corner and just smiles. At my boy. At my boy. Just rebel. Notice also in verse 2, Paul talks about being unthankful and unholy. Having no gratitude toward others for their kindness. No gratitude toward God for his goodness. When's the last time somebody told you thank you for something? I call it the two most forgotten words in the human language. People demand something. They deserve something. They put their hand out in defiance. You owe me this. You better give it to me. Wow. Verse 3. Follow in your Bibles. I want you to see these things. People in the last days will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll be hateful and hostile to anybody who opposes them. Used to you could have civility among people who didn't get agree with each other. That day's long gone. You say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Go on social media and put anything out there. And you'll have somebody wanting to argue with you, debate with you, call you names, la, 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 la. And if you're a Christian and you're involved in that kind of stuff, shame on you. Don't tell nobody you're a Christian. And if you tell them you go to Miles Road Baptist Church, quit telling them that. Tell them you go to Old Ford or somewhere. <laughs> Don't tell them that either. I'm just telling you, people are hateful and hostile today. And if you oppose them on any point, you're wrong, they're right. You're, you're a don't know, and they're a know-it-all. Also notice in verse 3, talks about slanders. That word slanders in the Greek talks about people who are liars and truce breakers. You can't believe a word they say that's spoken. You can't believe anything they signed their name to on a piece of paper. When I was growing up, if my father gave you his word he was going to do something, that's all he had to do, give you his word. It was done. I can even remember when I first started out coaching and I wanted to buy a car. I just went to the bank and the banker said, go get what you want, we'll worry with the paperwork later. Those days are long gone. But Paul says in the last days you will not be able to believe what anybody tells you. They will major in lies and deceit and misleadings. And you will not be able to trust anything somebody puts on paper. It, it'll be worthless. Notice also he says... They will be without self-control. They'll be brutal. That word brutal is an interesting word in the Greek. It talks about being a monster. 
Can you imagine Paul saying, in the last days, men will not be able to control themselves. Nobody else will be able to control them. They can't control themselves inwardly. Nobody will control them outwardly. They will be monsters on the loose, looking for people to maim, rape, and murder. They're monsters. I was reading a book not long ago, and the author said the monsters have been turned loose, and they sure have. There's a reason why we're seeing serial rapes at all-time highs, serial murders at all-time highs. It's because people can't control themselves, society can't or won't control them, and the monsters are on the loose, preying on anybody they can get their hands on. And by the way, when you're dealing with people who have become monsters, there's only two ways you can deal with them. You can incarcerate them for life, or you can take their life. Because you can't change people once they reach that point. I wish I could tell you the stories that Jim Wilson told me when he, our evangelist friend who worked with Dr. Graham for many years, Jim did a lot of death row ministry. And his story about visiting Ted Bundy on death row is a fascinating story of a man dark and demonized who actually told Jim if he could get out of jail, he'd go back and kill again. No, no remorse, no sorrow. Those women deserved what they got, and if I got a chance, I'd do it again. And yet we have people today who would say, let him out. Let him out. But let's move on. Not only do we have verse 3, we see now despisers of God added to the list. Despisers of God, they love sin more than they love a Savior. They love evil more than they would love righteous one or the righteous one. Notice in verse 4, it moves on, the traitors and headstrong and haughty. <laughs> what a combination that is. Traitors, they'll stab you in the back. There's no loyalty. There's no allegiance. Headstrong means stubborn, set in their ways. Haughty means arrogant, narcissistic. Make a mockery of authority. Believe they'll never pay for anything that they say or do. Verse 4 talks about lovers of pleasure. People today love pleasure. Pleasure drives every decision they make. I'll stay marriage and I'll stay in my marriage as long as it's pleasurable. I'll stay in church as long as it's pleasurable. I will stay at my job as long as it's pleasurable. When I have no more pleasure out of it, I'm out of here. And men can't find pleasure because what they're looking for is called joy, and joy comes from Jesus. So if you're here today and you're unhappy in your marriage and you're saying, I just need another wife or husband, I'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll just carry your misery to somebody else. I just need another job. I'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll just carry your misery to another place. What you're looking for is joy. Joy comes from Jesus. And yet we live in a world where people are looking for pleasure. Sex, suds, and Son, wine, women, and song. 
seven days a week, 24-7. That's what I want. So they spend all their life chasing after pleasure. And the Lord's day means nothing anymore. A generation ago, people went to church. Even if they weren't saved, it was the respectable thing to do. Now you can't even get God's people to come to church anymore. Say, Pastor, who are you talking about? If your telephone's ringing, pick it up. We make every excuse we can make not to come to church. Too cold, too hot, too rainy, too dry. Pastor Jim's going to be there. Pastor Jim's not going to be there. <laughs> Lovers of pleasure. Notice verse 4 also talks about a form of godliness. These people who have all of these other characteristics of total corruption have a religion. They're not pagans. They're religionists. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God's spirit in their life. And people use their religion to justify their sin. People kill unborn babies. And yet they find places in the Bible that seem to say it's okay. And by the way, if you study the Bible to prove your points, you'll always find something that you can use to prove that point. Homosexuality, alcoholism, fornication, drug usage, carnality, filthy mouths. People who have religion do all of that and they justify it by going to some obscure verse in the Bible where it says it's okay or doesn't say it's not okay. There's nothing worse than someone who has religion, who's a fool and wicked. They crucified Jesus and they'll crucify us too. Notice in verses 6 through 8, Paul kind of summarizes the rest of the 14 snapshots I've talked to you about by bringing up what I call a, a, a cocktail, if you will. He just closes it all out by talking about different people and the different problems they'll have. And note if you look at verse 6 through 8, now you're looking at it because I don't have time to read all of these verses, but you'll notice he's talking about people who have guilt. Guilt. They, have, they, have, they, they just eat up with no forgiveness. Particularly women, he makes special mention of women. Ladies struggle sometimes with things they've said and done in the past. They, they're haunted by the ghost of guilt. By the way, Jesus Christ will forgive. He'll wash, he'll cleanse, he'll make whole. But for some reason, some refuse to accept his forgiveness or they don't want to accept his forgiveness. He talks about emptiness there in those verses. A man has everything under the sun, S-U-N, but because he doesn't have the sun, S-O-N, he's empty. Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones got it right. I can't get no satisfaction. You'll never be satisfied until you have the son of the living God in your life. There's emptiness, there's foolishness, there's no truth. He talks about occultism. If you notice, he mentions two of in verse 8, he talks about two of, uh, of Pharaoh's magicians that were in the court that opposed Moses. You remember when Moses went to Pharaoh the very first time? Pharaoh said, who sent you? 
Moses said, I am that I am sent me. How do we know I am that I am sent you? And Moses demonstrated, if you recall, he did a few miracles. Do you remember that Pharaoh's magicians copied those miracles? Now, Moses's was done by God. Pharaoh's magicians, Janus and Jambres, their miracles were done by the devil himself. What is that telling us in the last days? Satan is going to be working in and out of the church in religion to deceive people and confuse people by working miracles that they're going to think is of God, but they're not of God. I've told you many times, just because somebody does a miracle doesn't mean they're of God. The way you check them, somebody's as a man of God is you check them by the word of God. In the last days, there's going to be many charlatans and many frauds, many imposters that will fill the coffers of religion. And many people will follow them. There will be a way which seemeth right unto a man, but those who follow that way will go to death. Ladies and gentlemen, what I've just painted for you is February 6, 2022. Everything I just told you, we see. We used to see it in black and white, but now we see it in vivid color. We used to see it in just small amounts. Now we're seeing it as a tidal wave coming. I find it interesting that in 1988, 1988, that's a long time ago, a philosopher and a theologian by the name of Carl Henry wrote a book entitled The Twilight of a Great Civilization. And in that book, the premises of the book was America's days are numbered. The handwriting is on the wall. God's finger is wrote on the wall. America's days are numbered. You've rejected the living word. You've rejected the written word. You don't want the truth. You don't want righteousness. You've chased after devils. That's what you want. That's what you can have. And remember, all of that brings about destruction and death and damnation at some point. But in his book, Carl Henry talks about how all he sees ahead for this nation and that world, is, in fact, is blood, toils, tears, and death. He wrote that in 1988. His estimation was we have one generation left when he wrote those words. A generation's 40 years, and I think he's pretty close. I'm not trying to tell you this to scare you. But Paul said we need to know this. We need to know this. We need to know the truth. We don't get the truth out of Washington anymore. We don't get the truth out of the church anymore. We need to understand we are living at the edge, the very edge of the end. Now, let's close. Now, for those of you who are true Baptists, you're saying he's still got two points and a poem left. Well, I'm, I, I'm not going to be Baptist this morning. So you only got one more point left and no poem. Okay? Two points, no poem. 
talked about the condition of the people of our world in the last days. As the Spirit of God showed Paul and Timothy what lied ahead. But also I want to talk to and close by talking about the hope that you and I have as God's people. In verse 11, Paul talks about how life was tough for him and his journey of faith in life. He talks about persecutions. He talks about afflictions. He just kind of shares with Timothy that he understands that life can be difficult and hard and filled with all kind of sad and suffering things. But notice in verse 11, he closes out that little insertion, if you will, by saying, in it all, the Lord did what? Help me out. The Lord delivered me. Ladies and gentlemen, as bad as it gets, the Lord will deliver us. Now, we might see some of it. I do believe we will. But in the end, the Father's going to say to the Son, go get my church, go get my people. And up we're going to go. The midnight cry is going to occur. And God's people, the true born again, are going to go up and leave this world. And then the seven years of history under the Antichrist will begin shortly thereafter. What, is, what should we be doing as we see all of this unfolding? Let me give you some things real quick. First of all, we need to flee to run from anyone or anything where foolishness and wickedness is endorsed or supported. Ears on, listen to me. Paul says in verse 5, writing to Timothy, he says, if you'll notice, he makes a little insertion there in between all of these corruptions. He says, from such people do what? Turn away, run away. Show them your heels. Saturate their presence with your absence. We need to flee anyone or anything who supports or endorses foolishness or wickedness that goes against the scriptures. I talk to families all the time and I hear sometimes, Pastor, my church is dead. My church is swayed away from the beliefs of the Bible. My church doesn't do this anymore. My church doesn't do that anymore. Well, why do you stay in your church? Oh, because my granddaddy was in that church. And my daddy was in that church. I got to stay in that church. No, you don't. Why would you want to be part of something, physically or financially supporting something, that is contrary to everything you believe in, or say you believe in? Paul says to Timothy, if you're in a place where you're seeing all of this, run from it. Get away from it. Don't try to debate. Don't try to fight. Don't try to argue. Don't try to change somebody's mind. Just take off and run. Don't be in an organization, any organization that supports the murder of the unborn. Don't put your money toward the murder of babies, the holocaust against the unborn. Don't put your money, don't put your presence in a place that supports perverted sexual things. 
Don't put your support behind something that teaches hate and brings people against one another. Don't put your money or, or your presence in a place that, doesn't, that doubts the Bible, discredits Jesus, confuses salvation. He says, run. And yet people sit in churches every Sunday that are espousing things that are totally unbiblical. And they stay there because of tradition or because of business or some other contrived reason. And they're going to answer to God one day for it. Do you know you don't have to kill an unborn baby with your own hands to be guilty of it? Just support somebody else who does. Where do we need to flee? But if you're going to run from something, you're going to have to run to something. Where do you run to? You flee anyone or anything that espouses foolishness or wickedness in regard to the things of our faith, morally or spiritually. But also you flee to God's church. Do you know the Bible says in the last days people are not going to want to come to church? We're seeing it. The, the, the pandemic, and I believe that you have to be cautious and careful, and I respect people's right to do that. But there comes a point when you have to get back to life. And we've got, probably every church has 25 to 30% of its people who will never come back. They, they just, for whatever reason, they don't think they need church anymore. And you know them, and I know them. But it's interesting, Paul said in the last days, not, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much, in fact, that as you see the day coming, what day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. Go to church more often. So you shouldn't lay out of church as we see the last days coming. We need to be in church more. We need one another. Amen? We need one another. So you flee from something. You flee to something. That's a Bible-believing church. And you also know the truth. Look at verse 13. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. How are you going to protect yourself from the counterfeits that are out there? The charlatans, the impostors that call themselves ministers, priests, pastors, theologians, evangelists. How do you protect yourself from them who are espousing things that are contradictory to the Word of God? By knowing the truth. By knowing the truth. You flee things that are not morally or spiritually right. You go to things that are morally and spiritually right. And then you check up on everything by the Bible. You know the truth. You've heard me say many times that tellers are trained at banks with real money. I asked a teller many years ago, I said, do you ever handle counterfeit money? I thought they would give them counterfeit money and then they could figure out what the real money was. She said, no, 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 no. We handle real money. And we handle it so much and so often in training and in our job 
that when somebody gives us a counterfeit bill, we can almost feel it. There's a feel to real money that you pick up when you do it enough that you can tell the counterfeit money. Ladies and gentlemen, when we know the Bible, backwards and forwards and forwards and backwards, from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation to Genesis, and all points in between, we know the truth. And that truth will help you understand, should I be under somebody's ministry? Should I be following somebody's ministry? Should I be supporting somebody's ministry? We need to know. You see, sometimes we get spoiled when you have a pastor that believes the Bible, pastors that believe the Bible, Sunday school teachers that believe the Bible, small group leaders that believe the Bible. But what are you going to do one day if you have somebody that doesn't? First of all, they should never be here. But what are you going to do one day if you have people that are teaching you things that are not true? You better know the Bible. Also, in verse 14, you need to continue in the truth that you know. It's not just a matter of starting with it, but you continue with it. It becomes a part of who you are. One of the great problems sometimes is we know the truth, but we don't do the truth. What, di what difference does it make to have the greatest study Bible in the world and to read it and to know it, but if you don't live it, what difference does it make? We need to stay with the truth. And when you find a place, parents and grandparents, that preaches and teaches the truth, that's where you need to put your family under. You don't go where other people want you to go just to go there so you can have family together. Or you can have fun or facilities or programs or music or hipness. When it comes to sometimes spiritual things, parents can, can be rather naive at times or just flat out dumb. How many of you parents would let your child tell you what doctor he or she is going to go to or what dentist he or she is going to go to? You'd say, no, I, I, I'm, I'm much smarter than my child. I want to put them in the hands of a doctor that I believe would be best for them, a dentist that would be best for them. If we believe that on the physical side, should we not believe it on the spiritual side? We're, we're going to go over here to Hipster Baptist Church. They got smoke and mirrors. And they play highway to hell. And the preacher smiles a lot. He's got bright teeth. Why would you go to a place where there's no truth being preached or bad truth being preached? Why would you go there? Well, my children want to go there. Have you ever thought about telling your children no? Novel, a novel idea. I can see me telling my dad that he, he wasn't going to do something that he thought was best for us. My dad had the look long before the look was a song. <laughs> he didn't say a lot, but he gave you the look. You know what he was saying. Button up and follow me. Continue in the truth. Know the truth. Flee to God's church. Flee away from anyone or anything that teaches things that are opposing morally or spiritually the word of God. 
And then lastly, we're going to talk more about this next week in verses 15 through 17. Paul closes the chapter out by talking about the scripture. And what he's saying is, is know the truth, continue in the truth, simply believe your Bible. It's inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lot to absorb. But Paul is warning us. Button down your shirt. Put your seatbelt on. The ride is going to get awfully rough and rocky for a while. But then he will deliver us. But until then, simplify. Let's be faithful. So in summation, since I got one minute, then we got to go. I could have told you this on the beginning, but you'd have been poochy-lipped and pouted. The world is going to get worse. Amen? It is. Tough times are coming. Amen? It's easier to stand together in a Bible-believing church than it is to stand alone and not come to church. Build your faith and life on God's Word, not on a man, not on a personality, not on a program, not on a name, not on anything but the Word of God. And don't be afraid. See, don't be afraid. The darkest hour of the night is followed by the coming of the sun. I like that, don't you? Just when it's the darkest hour of the night, that's when the next step is going to be the coming of the sun. It's going to get dark, but the sun is coming. Heads are bowed and eyes are